Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. I think we should just celebrate the God who is more than enough. We can just say, you are enough, God. Isn't it good to sing that today? Just stay standing for a minute. I love those lyrics. I will be content in every circumstance. I wonder how many of us really want to be able to say that with our whole heart. Meaning, you know, I know I'm still working on it. I'm still working on in every circumstance, Father. Because sometimes circumstances, I know we're going through it. Some of us are working on that. Maybe we're not content in this moment. Maybe we still want to be able to say you're enough, but it's a struggle. But that's the hope, right? That no matter what circumstance we're in, we can say, God, you're enough. I just want to speak into what our church family has been going through this week. Many of you know that we lost a a dear friend, someone who was a leader here in this church, someone who was a, a person that so many of us look to for, for so many things as a, not only a friend, but as an example. Many of you know that Allison Wall, Walls uh, passed away a few days ago. We had a memorial service here at our church yesterday. It was, it was a really incredible time together to honor her life remember who she was and she was only 39 years young if you don't know the story I know some of you don't she was diagnosed with a benign brain tumor about 10 11 days ago she went into surgeries it was believed that the surgery would be successful it and it was by all measures but then she had a seizure while in recovery and caused severe brain damage that she was unable to survive and for many of us it just was a they knew her well, it was a shock, and we've been grieving. And, but we also know that we have an assurance that she's in heaven, she loved Jesus, the greatest love of her life was Jesus Christ. And we stand in awe of how Allison loved the Lord. But to be able to say in every circumstance, you're enough, God, it's hard sometimes. But you know, yesterday as we looked around and we saw the impact that she made, a room was full of people over 800 people watched this service online. I mean, she was Im- impacting people all over the nation. Her family, I know, is here today. We're so glad you're here. Jane and Mark and Susan, we love you guys. But Allison believed, and I, I believe this, I can say this today, that, that God, you're more than enough in every circumstance. I think she would say that to us right now today. You know the name Jireh that we just sang? It's one of the names of God. It's the Hebrew name that means to see. You know that God sees you, right? I want you to look at your neighbor and say, God sees you. Look at your other neighbor and say, God sees you. God sees you, whatever circumstance you're in, whatever hardship you're in, whatever thing that's really, really challenging for you right, right now, whatever the thing is that you wish, man, I don't know if anybody sees me. I want you to know that God sees you today. And here's the cool thing about the name of Jireh. The full name is Jehovah Jireh, which means to see and to provide. 
So God not only sees you, but he's gonna provide for you. Look at your neighbor and say, God's gonna provide. Look at your other neighbor and say, God's gonna provide. You see, when we don't know if God sees me, not only does he see me, but he will provide. And I just want you to know today, the good news, the good news of this idea that we can say, God, you are more than enough is because God always sees us and he always provides for us. We have a great God who we can praise in every circumstance, amen? Amen, can we give him praise today? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you do. We thank you that you see us. We thank you that you hold us in the palm of your hand and that you'll never let us go. We thank you that, with, that we can say that with full hearts today that you are more than enough, Father. That you are more than enough, Father. That you are more than enough, Father. We say that today and we mean that today. And even in the most impossible circumstance, we say you are more than enough. We don't need anything else. This whole world can fade away. All we need is you, Jesus. We pray that today. And we thank you for taking care of us, God. We thank you for providing for us, God. We thank you that you're trustworthy, God. Thank you for being more than enough. We pray these things in your holy name. Jesus, we love you. And everybody said, amen. Can we celebrate God today? Well, it's so good to worship today. We just sing, we're just singing about the name of God. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell someone around you that you've never met. I want you to tell them your name, all right? Say, this is my name. Shake their hand and take a seat, all right? We're so glad you're here. All right, all right. <clears throat> take a seat, take a seat. We're so thankful you are here today. And I just want to say thank you to those of you joining us online. Uh, I want to say hello to you as well. We're so thankful that we have a community that is scattered while we gather, right? So we have a scattered church today watching on the podcast, or I mean watching on live stream or listening on the podcast, wherever you are, thank you so much. Just a real quick note about that. I wanna to say to all of you, it's summer, it's a travel season, like subscribe to our YouTube, subscribe to our podcast. It's a great way to keep up with all that's happening in the church. We live in a day and age that we don't have to be absent. You know what I mean? We can be present even when we aren't here. And so I encourage you to do that. And then, you know, whenever there's a day that you're just like, man, that message was just what I needed. That's when you can share that link with a friend, right? So uh, today, guys, we are on week number six of our series, There's More. Man, that was some good worship today. Man, so good. So thankful for it. We're in week six of our series, There's More. And, and, and after the news this week of Allison's passing, I wondered if I should change up the sermon and was starting to do so. But after our memorial service yesterday and, and how I felt like it was the appropriate moment for us to honor her life. I did feel like I should go ahead and continue with this message that's connected to there's more. And so I'm going to jump into that today. Uh, but first of all, we're going to be talking about today something that I believe is close to the heart of God, close to the central really narrative of his scripture from beginning to end. And I also think we're going to talk about something that is incredibly relevant to the world we live in and the challenges we face in our culture. And also I believe what we're gonna talk about today will hit all of us in the room a bit differently. 
But I'm confident and I really truly believe that every one of us will receive something today that God wants to really encourage us with, perhaps even lead us into. And so the title of today's message is More Justice. More Justice. And we live in a culture in a day of inequity and injustice around every corner, but we need more justice. Everyone say there's more. So let's start with this question. What is justice? Well, simply put, we can say it this way. Justice is doing what is right. That's all it is. Justice is doing what is right. And to get started today, I want to give you a few examples. I'm going to share a few stories, things that I believe are not right. And sometimes we need to connect ourselves to injustice or inequity in order to feel the need for justice. A few months ago, (laughs) near the start of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the United States offered to move the Ukraine President Zelensky by plane to a more secure location. I don't know if you remember this story. They wanted to get him out of the battle, if you will. And he responded back, the fight is here. I need more ammunition, not a ride. (laughs) And if you've kept up with the Ukraine story, like President Zelensky became a hero overnight. And we continue to see the courage of that man and that nation. And I feel like what we are all watching and experiencing with what's going on with Russia and Ukraine is one of the many forms of injustice that we see in the world, something that is not right, that is not fair. And it's unfolding before our very eyes. We're watching it on television and we all look there and we watch and we think, how can this happen? Why can't we do something about it? Why can't we stop this? And we feel powerless against the injustice. A few weeks ago, I was at an event here in Oklahoma City, and the subject of the event was restorative justice. And the keynote speaker at this particular event I was at was a guy named Mr. Anthony Ray Hinton. And Mr. Hinton had spent 28 years in solitary confinement and on death row in Alabama for a crime he did not commit. In 2015, through the work of the Equal Justice Initiative, They were finally able to overturn Mr. Hinton's case with overwhelming evidence of his innocence and also overwhelming evidence that he was targeted for this crime that he didn't commit because he was poor and he was black. And they found evidence, they found no evidence of his criminal activity. And as I sat and I listened to this man speak of his experience of being on death row for 28 years, for something he knew that he did not do, just like you if you were sitting there, my heart filled with pain. For him and the many others who have experienced this type of injustice. You know, we are aware that these sorts of things happen. People are unfairly targeted, treated, and even imprisoned. And in a similar way to the way we can feel when we watch what's going on In the news of Ukraine, we can sit there and we can feel powerless against the injustice. What do we do? Justice screams at us through different experiences. 
Even this week as we've experienced the death of a loved one who was way too young to die, who was kind, who was generous, who loved Jesus, we, we ask God, why does this happen? This is not fair. This is not right. Justice calls to us and says, we have to do something to right the wrongs in this world. I've shared a number of times, uh, not a number, a few, a few times about my at times in, in the nation of Haiti for about 10 years. I, I went back and forth quite a bit and went, I haven't been in a few years, but I uh, would take mission teams to serve at the Mission of Hope in Haiti. And Haiti is one of the poorest nations in the world, and everything about Haiti is unjust. Uh, the, their history is unjust, their, their poverty, their, uh, it's all a bit overwhelming when you go. And for me personally, one experience stands above the rest. Two little boys one day came in and showed up at the Mission of Hope Clinic. Uh, they both had bloated tummies, swollen faces. It was, on, it was on a trip that I took with a medical team. My mom was on this trip in 2010, right after the 2010 earthquake. And I was at the clinic when these boys came in and they, they immediately laid on a bed and they were depleted of energy. They, they were seemingly lifeless. And even though they were eight and three years old, they looked like about one in four. They were so malnourished. And uh, it was a combination of not only not eating, but eating the wrong things. The doctors quickly determined that their stomachs were full of rocks. In Haiti, there's a thing called dirt cookies that were pretty common for a long time where parents and loved ones would feed children dirt cookies to, in the place of food to just satisfy their hunger pains. And it is what it sounds like. It was a cookie made of mostly dirt and mud that they would pour some sugar and some spices in to just sort of satisfy their hunger pains. These two little boys were at a critical point. Uh, they were close to death. The doctors at the mission knew that something had to be done. So they said, hey, we, we think that they should go to a hospital in Port-au-Prince, which is about 30, 45 minutes away. And I wasn't any, I had no medical experience yet. I'm there with the medical team. So I decided, hey, you know what? I can help with this. And so I said, I volunteered to go and accompany these boys along with their mother and a paramedic from our team. And we actually went to three different hospitals that day to try and get these boys the help they needed. And there was no, no hospital was willing to help because they were overrun. Remember I said we were there right after the 2010 earthquake, which, which took 200, 220,000 lives. It was massively, massively, all actually because of the unjust and injustice that nation had faced is why that nation crumbled under that earthquake. So we go to these hospitals, they turn us away. They said, hey, go try someplace else. And we eventually end up at a hospital in the center of the city. It was called General Hospital, but General Hospital had been destroyed as well. And so there was no hospital to go to there. But right outside all the ruins, there was this tent hospital kind of conglomerate that had created where you saw the UN, you saw the British and American, you know, Red Cross, you saw military agencies, they'd all work together to make this massive tent hospital of just hundreds of tents set up. It looked like a war zone, triage centers, and all these people laying in these hospital cots that, had, that were amputees. They had lost you know, limbs and arms from the damage of the earthquake and the aftermath of it. And here we are with these two boys, and our hope was that maybe in this sea of people, we could 
find a place with some doctors that would take these boys and help them because they were on the verge of death. And so we, we get out of the ambulance. The mom takes the three-year-old boy. She's carrying him. And I pick up the eight-year-old boy, and we start heading into the sea of people, right? And as we're making our way through the tents, literally rubble from the, from the earthquake on either side of us, we're weaving our way through. And all I kept thinking while I was carrying this little kid, I'm weeping, I'm overwhelmed by everything I'm experiencing. And all I keep thinking is, this kid is eight years old, and he f- he's so light. He felt, I mean, he's probably less than 20 pounds. And at that time, I had a three-year-old that was heavier than him, right? And I just was overwhelmed by his life. And I was just like, God, I don't understand. How does this kind of stuff happen? So we finally, after we walked for what it seemed like forever, found a tent near the back of all these tents that would take these boys. And I handed this boy to a nurse, and it was really, really this crazy moment. And they took him, and they started working on him. And me and the paramedic, we look at each other, and we turn around and leave and go back to the ambulance, and we left. And all I could hope for in that moment was like, God, maybe maybe this is it. Maybe this will change his circumstances. Maybe this will change his life. And I've said it twice in a row, and I'm going to say it a third time, but you can feel powerless in the face of injustice. The injustice of poverty, the injustice of racism, the injustice of war, the injustice of death, of the death of someone way too young, we can feel powerless in the face of injustice. But I don't believe that's what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to feel powerless or hopeless. So we have to ask, how can we feel empowered? How can we be empowered for justice? Because God wants more justice. And he wants his people to care about what he cares about. So we must know, first of all, that justice is close to the heart of God. It is so close to the heart of God. It's, it's littered through his word. And I'm not sure you realize, maybe you do, but how central it is to his mission. His ultimate mission is what? It's to redeem and restore all of humanity, to right all that is broken, and to bring us into a restorative reality with God the Father and us as children. That's his ultimate mission. And one of his primary vehicles to do that is justice, to right what's wrong and what's broken. But it is God. It's, first of all, justice is God's idea. It's not of human origin. Anybody that thinks they're the owner of justice, they're wrong. God owns it. He's the one who came up with it, and he'll be the one to complete it. Isaiah chapter 58 says some things that are so startling about justice that we have to notice. They're stunning, they're powerful, and we have to take notice of what it says. This passage speaks to the importance of justice and how we teeter between a faith that is unjust and one that is just. You ever write a teeter-totter when you were a kid? The scales of justice, right? Up and down with justice in our faith. Check this scripture out, Isaiah 58, starting in verse 2. For day after day, now this is the prophet Isaiah speaking, but the prophet Isaiah is speaking the words of the Lord. 
So this is the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah. For day after day, they seek me out. He's talking about God's people. They seek me out. They seek God out. They seem eager to know my ways as if, everyone say as if, as if if they were a nation that does what is right. Everyone say what is right. That's justice, right? And, ha- and has f- not forsaken the commands of its God. And they ask me, the people ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. And they say, the people say, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it, God? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So I want to pause here because we got to catch this. The prophet is writing the words of the Lord. And on the surface, it starts and it seems really good. It says that day after day, they seek me. And it's like, oh, good. These people are seeking the Lord. But then right after that, do you notice the next words? It says, they seem eager to know my ways. Everyone say they seemed. seemed. Have you ever tried to seem interested? (laughs) You're like, uh, right now. Sometimes Christy and I are talking, and I'll start breaking down the NBA playoffs. And she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I'm like, oh, I got to talk to you about the greatness of Tom Brady. And she's like, mm, yeah, go team. And here's the deal. She can seem interested in something that I care about, but she's like, I'm not really that interested. But I can, I can, I can act like I'm interested. It says they seemed eager. Then he goes on and he says, as if they were a nation that does what is right. As if they were a nation that does justice. This is starting to hurt really quick. Then in verse 3, these people who pray, they fast, they humble themselves. Well, they go back to God, and what do they say? They say, don't you see us fasting, God? Don't you see us praying? Why aren't you drawing near to us, God? Why aren't you moving, God? See, the story behind Isaiah 58 is people are getting frustrated with God because they feel like they are seeking him and he's not responding in the way they think he should respond. Isn't that what we do? We, we, spend, we, we, ex, we expect God to move when we pray a little extra. God, I prayed, I prayed a little extra. Don't you hear me? Or I fasted this week. You know, I took off. I didn't eat any sugar. I quit coffee for three days. I didn't, I didn't get on Instagram for 72 hours, God. God, I'm not drinking coffee tomorrow for you. Why aren't you speaking? He's like, is that a fast? As if you're doing the right thing. Hmm. Yet, next verse, yet on the day of your fasting... You do as you please, and you exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. Does this sound familiar? And striking each other with wicked fists. I mean, this is crazy. In other words, your fasting and exploiting, they don't go together. Your fasting and injustice don't go together. In our days, our worship services and our church services don't go along with angry tweeting, right? They don't go along with judging others or unjust decisions. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. You want to be heard on high, but you can't fast the way you're fasting. What he's saying, seek me the way you're seeking me, worship me the way you're worshiping me, but yet be unjust. 
in this kind of, is, and then he goes on, he says, I mean, Jesus, I mean, God, in this case, he's being like, he's almost like, seriously? He's like, is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Just one day, right? It's only for bowing one's head like a reed and, and lying in sackcloth and ashes. He's like, do you think it's just about like being super spiritual? Doing these super spiritual things? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? He's like, man, a fast isn't ritual or prayer. And then in verse 6, he says, Is not the kind of fasting that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice? Isn't that the kind of fast I want you to do? To untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. Is not the fast I have chosen you to take, to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked, to clothe them, and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Guys, this is a stunning revelation. He's like, do you want to know what a fast is and what sacrifice is and what dedication unto the Lord is and what, and what worship is? Do you want to know what it's really like to, to seek me in my ways? It's to loose the chains of injustice. That's what it means. It's, it's, it's to feed and share your food with the hungry. It's to clothe the poor and shelter the poor. That's what it means. And notice that last phrase. He says, and do not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Now, he's not talking about your immediate family or your cousins. <laughs> he's talking about humanity. All the hues and colors and types and socioeconomic classes of humanity don't turn away from your flesh and blood. God is saying, if you don't care about the oppressed, the poor, the wanderer, then you don't care about what I care about. That's what God's saying right here. He said, this passage, so, so for me, this passage will grab us by the heart and call us to a new way of living. He goes on, when you do those things, when you loose the chains of injustice, when you share your food, here's just some good news here. In the next verse, verse 8, he says, then, then something's going to happen. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing that you've been praying for, it will click, quickly appear then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call on the Lord, and he will answer your cry for help, and he will say, here am I. God's like, I show up when you really live the way I, and you care about the things that I care about. It's a stunning picture of God's heart for justice in this world. He's like, no matter how much fasting and praying you do, if you don't care about the poor, if you don't care about righting injustices, then all of your religious efforts are empty of their purpose. If you're like, hey, that's Old Testament though, Tim. Don't you know Jesus came? There's a new, there's a new covenant. Jesus said that there is an echo chamber about justice in the Bible. It's from beginning to end. Proverbs 19.17 says, if you give to the poor, you give to the Lord. Jesus, Matthew, Jesus in Matthew 25, he speaks very directly to this whole idea. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the day of judgment. It's a big day. And he describes this scene in which he separates all the people. Ones go to his right and one, ones go to his left. I guess this is right <laughs> and this is left. Ones go to his right, ones go to his left. 
And he says, those that will stand <clears throat> on the left will face judgment. And they will be the ones who are lost and condemned and destined for destruction and hell. Those on his right, well, they will be received into his kingdom. But I want to read to you what he says in verse 41. Jesus spells it out for them. Then he says to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the evil, or excuse me, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not look after me. They will all, they will all answer. All these people in life are like, what are you talking about? Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or, or sick in a prison and, and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. He says the exact opposite to those on his right. He says, hey, because you did those things, because you clothed the poor, because you gave food to the hungry, it's because of those things, what you did for the least of those you did for me. When you give to the poor, you give to the Lord. Yeah. Hmm. In summary, Jesus says, if you don't love the poor and no, matter what you, and no matter what you say, you don't know me like you think you know me. You don't really have a relationship. You might comply, there might be compliance with me. You may, you may really you know, adjust, adapt yourself to some rituals and some knowledge about my ways, but it's not a relationship. God is saying the way you regard and treat the poor and the broken and the marginalized reflects and reveals the reality of how you regard me. Whoa. Perhaps this is a better way to sum it up. If you think you've found God but you don't care about poor, the poor or injustice, then you actually haven't found God, you've found something else. You've maybe found the Americanized Jesus, you maybe found the feel-good Jesus, but you have not found King Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four, he quoted the prophet Isaiah at the beginning of his ministry to, to declare his purpose. Why is Jesus coming? And Jesus said this about himself. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery for sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. Now, here's what we all know. We all know, we've been taught this before, we know that every one of us has been poor, every one of us has been broken, every one of us has been a prisoner, every one of us has been blind, every one of us has been oppressed. Spiritually speaking, we've all been bankrupt at some point in our life. And God came for every one of us because we've all felt that condition. But that, so it applies spiritually, but guess what? Jesus did not exclude physically. Those who physically experience these sorts of realities, Jesus says, I have come to right the wrong. I have come to set the oppressed free. All right, y'all with me today? Let's pause. <laughs> we need to catch our breath. This should be messing with your priority on justice and how important it is to the heart of God. I'm gonna tell another story and then I'm done. A little bit silly story, right? In the middle of my eighth grade year, our family moved here to Oklahoma City. I was a new kid in school. Anybody been the new kid in school? I was a new kid in school, I had no friends, I didn't know, you know, over the first few weeks when you're the new kid in school, you just kinda of get what you get when it comes to friends. He's like, dude, warm body, you know my name? Let's have lunch. That's just the way it is. 
Well, I started hanging out with this kid that was a little bit of a uh, class clown, like to instigate trouble. I, I don't know. That wasn't me, but I was like, you know, I mean, he's, he's invited me in. Well, one day he gives me a straw. Gives me a straw, and while the teacher was out of the room, he starts spitting spitwads against the wall. If you don't know what a spitwad is, you get a little paper in your mouth, you get it all slobbery, then you shoot it through the straw, and it sticks to whatever it hits. Right? So I, I'm the new kid. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to fit in. So I start shooting spitwads with this kid. And then I accidentally missed the wall and hit a kid, a girl, right when the teacher came in. Now, this is B BC, before Christ. <laughs> this is not a proud moment. But how many of you go, this is not good? Look at your neighbor and say, this is not good. So here, me and my new friend, we were immediately shipped down to the principal's office. Now, I'm not only new in this school, but I'm new in Oklahoma. <laughs> and in 1993, corporal punishment was still a thing in Oklahoma. You guys know what corporal punishment is, right? They take a ruler, slap your hand, beat kids in school. Well, 1993, I mean, Oklahoma's been slow on a lot of things. This one, I'm not proud. They were still doing corporal punishment in the 90s. I thought that was a thing in the 50s. So I'm in this principal's office. He tells me my punishment is going to be two SWATs. And I said, what are SWATs? <laughs> he points over at a paddle in the corner of his room, and he goes, I'm going to hit your butt with that thing right there. And I said, you're not, no way. That's against the law. You can't do that. You can't hit a kid. You can't do that. And she's like, oh, yeah, I can. I can totally do it. And I already called your mom, and she said yes. <laughs> so, I, so I bend over, right? Dude swings that thing like he's an OU softball player. Bam! Twice. Two big old swats to the, yeah. I'm like, Okay, like, and so I go back to class, literally, you know, tail tucked between my legs and my cheeks stinging a bit. And stupid story, but here's what I was thinking about with that story. This is how we think justice is administered. The person who does wrong is punished. Justice served. Is that right? What about the girl who got hit with the spitwad? What about the teacher that was disrespected? Why didn't my principal say, you know what, I'm going to teach you about justice? I'm going to take you out. We're going to sit this girl down. We're going to sit this teacher down. And I'm going to teach you how to reconcile what you did. But instead, it was solved by punishing the perpetrator which was me in this case, and then it's done. And I think this is how justice is often performed in most of society and how we think about it, is that we want to create solutions for the problems, but we aren't creating solutions for those who've been the victims of those problems. And so what happens is, listen, listen, listen. Hmm. God is not focused on delivering justice to the one who did the wrong. Eventually, all will be judged. But he wants to give justice to the one who was wronged. God seems to care more about the oppressed, the poor. God is focused on the one who, by no fault of their own, was born in Haiti and fed dirt cookies. 
or born in America into his poverty, into poverty and can't seem to catch a break and then is blamed for something they didn't do because of where they live or for the color of their skin or the amount of money they have or don't have. He's more concerned about the person who was a victim of violence or the victim of a, a situation that wasn't their fault. God wants to reshape our view of justice to one of compassion for the poor, the broken, the marginalized, instead of a view of justice that only tries to deal with the wrongs and never sets anything right. As Christians, this is the mindset we must take on and that the world must feel from us. This is what it means to be the church, friends. People must know that we love them, that we love the poor, that we love the marginalized and the forgotten. Generally speaking, most people know what the church is against. We're not always real clear about what we're for, but we always know, we know as believers, we're for so much more than we're against. But do the poor, the marginalized, and the forgotten know that we are for them? Let's make this more personal. Does the poor, the marginalized, and the forgotten know that you are for them? Do people who experience inequity and injustice know that you are for them? How have you shown them that? You see, we can't be the church that seems eager to know God and lives as if we do the right thing. We must take on the very cause of Jesus Christ to be the people of God who, yes, go out into all the world to make disciples, but as we do that, we are righting the wrong and setting things right that God wants to see restored in this world. Now, to be honest, this message is one that is it's very convicting in my own heart and soul. I've had plenty of moments, still do, had one recently that I'm ashamed of where I seem to, it's more like I seem and act as if I'm doing the right thing, yet I lack a true heart for more justice. You know, when we started our church, I felt like God wanted us to plant a church on 23rd Street. Me and Christy prayed, talked about this. And one of the things that kind of evolved out of that calling was this little statement that has stuck with me for 9, 10, 11 years now. And it's this, is that need would be at our doorstep. I wanted that for our family. I wanted that for our church, that we wouldn't have to go and find need, but need would be at our doorstep. And I'm telling you, <laughs> there's so many mornings I walk up to our church building and someone is sleeping on our doorstep. And I'm telling you, the, the love of Jesus does not well up in me in that moment like it should. Because so many times, you know, this person passed out. They've made a mess on our doorstep. And I'm like, why, God? Why again? Why do we have to deal with this? And he's always like, remember, I told you, I told you there will be need at your doorstep. And I'm wondering, like, what if we took that on in our own life? Maybe this wasn't a church thing, but this was a youth thing. Because, oh, oh by the way, you're the church. That, that you would take on this posture and this idea that, hey, Lord, I'm gonna allow need to be at my doorstep because I want it to be so consistent and so regular in my life that I have to confront justice needs every day. That I'm willing to, to be the one to step across the line and be the one to bring the good in it. I'm the one that's willing to right the wrong. I'm the one that's willing to do what's right because here's what justice is. Justice is intentionally and consistently doing what is right not waiting for someone else to do it. 
Now I will say this, and then I really will be done. Some have made justice into an idol. This is the flip side of this whole thing, right? Just to be clear, justice isn't the gospel. Justice is part of the gospel. So anytime a person or a movement or an organization champions justice and they put Jesus so far in the background that you can barely recognize him, or maybe they completely remove Jesus from their motive so that they can be more socially acceptable and politically correct, I'm just telling you, that has moved from a gospel-centered, Jesus-centered movement around justice to a secular-centered movement around justice. And here's the thing, secular-centered causes can do really, really great things in the world. There's nothing wrong with them, but they always have an agenda that ultimately lands in something other than Jesus. So we have to be careful if you're a Christian that you don't align your heart with the secular version of justice. It must be the cause for Jesus and his kingdom to see all things righted and the demands for justice for all people at all times, not just for some people. That is a whole different kind of justice. And we live in a world where justice can be a polarizing word, but it is God's word, not anybody else's. He's the one that's come to right the things that are wrong. And here's the thing I know. We're not going to walk out of here knowing what to do. This message is not intended for you to know what to do today. It's intended to mess with your heart for weeks and years to come, that you are a person that is called to the justice needs of this world because God is a God of justice. <laughs> Micah 6.8, perfect scripture to close with. What does the Lord require of you? to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is one of the clearest passages in all the Bible. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly. We're gonna pray together. Will you join me? Will you stand with me as we pray? Go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. We're just going to go into a moment of prayer and response. Listen, today, this is the sort of message that you have to ask yourself, God, what does this mean for me? What does more justice mean and look like in my life? Lord, I don't want to be a person that that acts like this isn't applied to me, but Lord, this is central to your words. You have to ask yourself, Lord, what does this mean? For some of us, it's like, oh, wow, at the very end, it just came. Like, it's not secular justice, but it's Jesus-centered, gospel-centered justice. What does more justice look like? Will you care for the poor, the broken, the oppressed, the marginalized, the forgotten? This is close to the heart of Jesus. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe you need to be stirred up. Maybe you need to say, God, I'm open. I'm open to what you want because, Lord, I want more. I don't want to seem interested. I don't want to act as if I'm doing the right thing. Maybe today you need to come to God and you need to repent and you need to say, God, I want to take on your ways in a better way. I don't want to seem, I don't want to be as if, I want to, I want to, be, I want to be real. And I'll say this before I pray and then, and then we're going to sing a song. Perhaps you've been a victim of injustice. Perhaps you've been undone or worked up by cultural injustices that have dominated your way of thinking, your view of the world. First of all, Jesus comes to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. He wants to give you freedom today. 
Maybe you've been feeling that feeling for years. Why me? This isn't fair. Why did this have to happen to me? Can I just say that Jesus came for you? He came to heal you. He came to give you freedom. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come. Come and minister to people who need you right now. Come and stir up the hearts of your church to become people that that are passionate about what you're passionate about. God, we need you more than ever. This world needs you more than ever. Father, we can't do it on our own. We need you. We need your presence. But Father, may we not seem to be interested. May we not be people as if we do the right thing. But Lord, may we truly be people who know what it means to fast, who know what it means to seek after you, who know what it means to run after you in your ways. That we, yes, we, do, we fall on our face in prayer, but we go out into the streets and we share with the broken world who you are and bring life. God, I pray that over this church family. Come Holy Spirit, we give you this time. We invite you to move in us. We long for more. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This altar's open. We're gonna worship. We're gonna respond. Come, pray. Our prayer team is here if you want to pray with someone or you can just pray on your own. But let's respond to, respond to the Father. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.